Um, if you've ever been to our house, the first step at our house of the stairs is known as the timeout step. Um, you may have one in your house. You may have had one growing up in your house. Um, it may have been called the naughty step. Um, I sat on it often when I was young. Um, but we have one in our house. And what happens is quite regularly, probably daily, um, one of Evan or Agnes or both of them end up on that step. And what we try and do is myself or Nikki will go and speak to them and try and give them some time to think about what they've done wrong and give them uh, an opportunity to ask for forgiveness, say sorry to one another and hug. Sometimes that happens. And we try and do this as calmly as possible. We try and do it without getting angry, without getting frustrated. But something we noticed over Christmas was that Agnes started picking up her presents and she had quite a few presents of these little toys and dolls and so forth. She'd pick one up, and she'd go and take it over to the step. She'd come back 30 seconds later, and in true Agnes style, if you've ever met her, she started going, at at the doll. She would then go and get another one and do exactly the same thing. In fact, it got to the point where she went up to the Christmas tree, and each of the baubles got a stern telling off. And if you know her two favourite dolls of um, Emily and of Sophia... They have been copying it, something rotten over the last few weeks, being disciplined. Well, what she'd been doing is she had been imitating what we were doing. Um, And we didn't even realise we were doing it. I didn't even realise I was doing it. I thought I was very placid, very calm when I was disciplining them. But obviously, there'd been several occasions where maybe I had been less than composed. And that was what she imitated. She imitates a lot of good from us, I hope, but also she imitates the bad from me, definitely. Well, Paul's letter that we've just heard read there, it's a beautiful letter, isn't it? And it doesn't develop one single idea, but actually what it does is it's a number of different reflective essays uh, that surround the central piece, which is the famous chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, the Messiah's poem. That is the central piece. Everything else around it comes um, and picking different themes from that central poem. And so what Paul is doing, he's urging, the let, he's urging the Philippian church, he's urging Christians that read this to imitate Christ. That's who we imitate. We imitate Christ. And we imitate his self-giving love. And Paul surrounds his central piece with examples of how he has imitated Christ. He gives other examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, we read there. But he wants the Philippian church to look at Christ first and foremost, but also to look at him as he seeks to imitate Christ. Look at me as I seek to imitate Christ. And what he's doing is he's encouraging Christians to see how their life, how our life, is to be in a lived expression of Jesus' life. So let's just jump into that straight away. We're going to be doing kind of like an overview of the book today. And I'm just going to be focusing on um, a few things from this passage. But let's see if, if we look to um, chapter 2, verses 6 to um, 11, the Messiah's poem. I'm just going to read this again because it is absolutely beautiful. Some of my favorite words in Scripture. It says, um, um, Who, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul shows that Jesus emptied himself. He left his status of being um, the joy of heaven, In unity with his father, he left that and the splendor of heaven and became a servant, a servant to all. As we know at Christmas time, born in a stable to Mary and Joseph. He was willingly humiliated. He was obedient to the father. He went to the cross. He experienced a shameful death that he didn't deserve. God reversed that through God's, through his power and grace. And now he's been elevated above all other names so that all creation recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord and it's all to the glory of the Father. And this is who Paul is calling us and the Philippians to imitate. Self-giving love at its best. 100% other person-centered and 100% to the glory of God. And as I read these and I, I dwelt on this this week, how... How can I be called to imitate this? How do I even do it? Do I even want to do it? It looks quite hard. And then the astounding words, there's just um, verse after verse in this, in this book is just quotes, aren't they, that you see around in people's houses. Philippians is like the go-to for quotes in the Bible for verses that you see around in people's houses. And he says this, so for me, Paul says, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. That is the purpose of his life. To live is Christ. And he says this, and to die is to gain. See, Paul thinks, look, it's better for me to die and be with, be with Jesus because that is going to be so much better. It's going to be so exciting. I can't wait. I'm excited for it. But he says, for me, while I've got breath in my lungs, to live is Christ. He wants to imitate Jesus in every part of his life. We can wrestle with, especially at the start of a new year, what is, what is my purpose in life? What am I going to achieve this year? How am I going to leave my mark? What am I going to do to make a difference? And I think these words are really crucial for us. To live is Christ. What a New Year's resolution that is. And Paul does this even in suffering in prison. Even in his position of being in prison. And the words that... Andy used before from the Bible Project, they say this, for Paul, his life in the present and the future is defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. We see that in Jesus' servanthood, his humility, his obedience, his sacrificial life. And that's my prayer for us over these next 12 months at Oikos, that we would increasingly be able to say, to seek, for me to live as Christ, to grow in service, to grow in humility, to grow in sacrificial living and obedience. Paul says this, whatever happens, conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let that be our prayer for one another and our church this year. And so I'm just going to point out um, four things today for, for Paul when he says to live is Christ. There's many more things that he means, but 
but just some things that stood out to me, that for Paul, to live as Christ to him means, first of all, being a servant of Jesus and a servant to others. To live as Christ means, first, being a servant for Jesus and a servant to others. And if you look at verse 1, he says this, Paul and Timothy, verse 1 of chapter 1, servants of Christ Jesus. Normally, Paul would um, start his letters and introduce himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. But in this letter, he says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And this word servant means is doulos in the Greek, which means bond servant. And so that means that he is devoted to another, to the disregard of his own interests. Paul sees himself as a bond servant to Jesus Christ. He's completely devoted to Jesus, first and foremost disregarding his own interests. He is hook, line, and sinker 100% for Christ. He was a servant in that way. He obeyed Jesus, and it took him to prison. It took him to some difficult situations. It led him to prison. It wasn't a situation that he necessarily would have chosen for himself, but he knew for the good of the gospel, following what he knew his call was to do, he didn't look to his own interests, Paul didn't. He went, followed where Jesus took him, which was even into prison. He was willing to do that because he wasn't looking to his own interests. We also see in this, in, in this way, he talks about how um, the, Roman, the guards know why he's in prison. He's in prison because he loves Jesus. And that's a great example that he wants to give to people. But... His purpose is also for the good of others. We know that in uh, the Philippian church, it said in the letter that they are growing in confidence because Paul is in prison. Even in his change, the, go- the, the gospel is going out and it is making the people that were scared and worried bold and confident in the gospel because he was standing firm in prison. <coughs> he doesn't look to his own interests. He sees that he is devoted to other people's interests. First of all, to Jesus. But the outworking of that is to others. He even sends, and I find this amazing, he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus back. He says, you know, he, he's, as Timothy's his spiritual son, and he sends him to go and encourage the Philippian church. And Paul's the one who's in prison. <laughs> he does the same with Epaphroditus. He knew that they were worried and concerned about um, Epaphroditus is getting ill and nearly dying. And he goes, oh, I'm going to send you back because I know you'll be encouraged if I send, you, send him back to you. That is someone who really did not look to his own interest, did he? He really looked to some other people's interests, just as Jesus did. And as I was reflecting on this, I was just thinking, as we're trying to live out our lives as, as a family of missionary servants who make disciples, we are going to be faced with day-to-day decisions that we make of whether we prefer ourselves or whether we prefer others. Living life closely to one another, we are going to be faced with these decisions and battles. Do we, I don't feel like going to GC this week, but it would be an encouragement to other people if I went. I don't really feel like serving on a Sunday but I know it would serve the wider body. All decisions that we get to make, are we going to prefer ourselves 
Or are we going to prefer our others, uh, um, others? Are we willing to be a bondservant for Christ? The outworking of that is service to others. And what I love about this church is that we really do face up to those um, situations that we have. I really believe that we are a church that prefers others. But increasingly, we want to increasingly do that, don't we? You increasingly want to do that each and every single year. And so he was, to live as Christ meant that he was a servant to Jesus and to others. But secondly, we also see that to live as Christ for Paul meant counting all else as garbage and finding satisfaction in Jesus. You see, Paul's um, example continues in chapter 3, and what we see here is that the, uh, the context of what's going on in the background is that Paul was facing quite a lot of opposition, even from um, Jewish Christians. Um, as we know, Paul was a, um, was a, f- a former Pharisee, um, a persecutor of Christians, and they're reminding him of his past. And yet, he declares to everyone, look, I, ha- I could be the proudest person. I have more to be proud of than anyone else. He says those words in um, chapter 2, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth, so chapter 3, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, as faultless. He was the man. He was well thought of in his former job. He had more to be confident about than anybody else. And yet, he was able to say this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It is garbage. Everything else he had, he says, is garbage. And I remember when um, Kenny spoke on these words some years back, and he talked about the word for garbage actually means, sorry, Kenny, I hope I'm quoting you well here, um, put it in a nice way, doo-doo. You know, the, as you put it in a much better way, but excrement. He thought of everything else he had in life compared to the passing worth of Christ as rubbish to that extent. So can I ask you this question? And I've been asking myself this question this week. For me, living is what? How would you fill in the blank? Paul would say, for me, living is Christ. But for you, how would you fill in that? And I could fill it with so many things that wouldn't necessarily be Christ. But it is something worth reflecting on this new year. What are the things that we are actually living for that we put in the place of living for Christ. Maybe it's the success of our children. Maybe it's the role in the job. Maybe it's a comfortable life. And a way of checking that and balancing that is seeing how do you spend your time? What do you spend your money on? Sobering thoughts as I did this this week and will continue to do so. I increasingly want to be able to say that for me to live is Christ and everything else is rubbish in comparison. But we need to look at this this central piece, this 
Messiah's poem, look at the value at which we gain from Christ and having Christ compared to the other rubbish and treasures that we fill it with. For me, living is, what is it? Spend some time thinking about that this week. Well, also, we see thirdly, to live is Christ, for Paul means working out our own salvation. Famous words from chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul wants them not to be passive. Not to just think, oh, I'm saved, once saved, always saved. Like, no, no, don't be passive in this. It's a grace that you have been saved. But it is a grace also that you are able to pursue him. Do we think of it as a grace that we're able to pursue him and to work out our own salvation? Paul is clear. He doesn't want people, you know, Paul doesn't want people to think that he's, he's perfect that he's made it, that he's there. That's not going to happen until he's with Jesus. And so he says this, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He has called us to be more like Christ. We will ultimately be perfected when we go to be with he- in heaven with him. But until that day, we are able to grab hold, of it, grab hold of it now. We are able to desire it now. We'll be able to be more like Jesus now. And he's doing that work in us. But also we're able to work it out as well. We're able to work towards it as well. Not in a way that's going to make us uh, um, works righteousness. Not saying that at all, but the desire and the opportunity for us to experience and grab hold of what it means to live a life for him fully now and not waste, um, maybe not even waste our lives on other things. And how did he do it? Well, he looks to heaven. He forgot the past. He pressed on. He didn't think he'd already arrived there. But he strived towards it now. He wanted to work at it. That was the desire in his heart. And that's what he wants for Christians everywhere. Well, with a new year that started, what what New Year's resolution are you going to make? How do you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? How are you going to take hold of the prize fully now? How are you going to strain for it? How are you going to press on for it? When Nikki was, my wife, when she was saved in South Korea, her friends introduced her to a, um, a thing that they did each year, which was to write a letter to Jesus. So Nikki does this each year, I've done it on many occasions, is that he, we, start the, we end the year and start the next year writing a letter to Jesus. And what it entails is looking back at the last 12 months and thinking about what are your hopes for the next 12 months What particularly do you want to see the Lord working in our lives? How do we want to be changed? I think it's a great practice and great idea to be able to look back in 12 months and say, oh, this is how I've seen the Lord working me in my life. What would your letter read? Jesus, I need to leave behind this pain. Jesus, I want to take hold of 
you in this area of my life. I want to see victory in this area of my life. Jesus, I want to work out my salvation through this difficult situation. Please help me. Because the Lord will work in us. and He desires for us to want him to work in us. Because finally, what we see is, live as Christ means having confidence that God will complete what he's started in you. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul reminds them of the confidence that they can have, that it's he who began a good work in you that will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus. We can be sure and we can look forward to the day that that work will be completed and we know it's going to happen. And So we don't have to beat ourselves over the head when we don't live out our lives for Christ as we would like. We can be assured that it will one day happen. But wouldn't it be great to enjoy that now and take hold of that prize now and enjoy living more and more for him? I think just as we finish our time together, as I said, immediately after the centerpiece of the Messiah's poem, we see Timothy praised by Paul for his genuine concern for the welfare of the Philippian church. We see him praise Epaphroditus for being, you know, nearly dying in the service of the gospel. These are worthy examples of imitation. So can I ask you this new year, who are you going to imitate? We all imitate someone. We all imitate um, different things, as Agnes did, the bad things that she saw in me. But who will you imitate? Jesus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Who are the examples in this room, even today, that you look to for your example? I'm grateful that over the last 11 to 12 years, being part of this church, there are many people that I can thank for being people that are worthy of imitation. Not even knowing that I was imitating them. Them not even knowing that I was imitating them as they imitated Christ. Who are you grateful for? Maybe not in this room, but at some part in your life. Who are you grateful for that has being a great example of living for Christ. I want to encourage you this week to reach out to them. Text them, say thank you, or to say continue living the life for Christ that you live. But also I want to leave us with a thought, something to think about. In our ministry for Christ, do we present ourselves as a viable model to others? Are we, as Paul puts it, letting our lives um, live, uh, letting our lives be worthy of the gospel? Are you worthy of being um, followed as an example? How does it make you feel to think that others are going to be following your example? How we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we speak to people, how we welcome people, how quickly we forgive people. You see, People are taking on and learning from us. People are seeing our example. And that can sometimes be a bit daunting, can't it? There is, of course, grace and forgiveness when we get things wrong and how we deal with those things matters, but, but people will imitate us. And so think about that. But also, I do want to encourage you to reach out to someone this week and encourage them that they've been a great example to you in Christ. 
I'm going to finish there, but I do just want to say what, how amazing it would be that this time next year we can look back and say to one another, we have lived for Christ more this year than we did last year. And that is all we can ask and that's all we can pray for. And so I'm going to pray for us now in that. And then we're going to come to a time of just responding in song. Um, and well, I'll leave a moment for you guys, to, if people just want to have a, a think of anything that stood out from the sermon um, and underline it or just write a couple more notes. But I'll just pray for us as we finish our time. Father God, I want to thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that we are able to look to his example, that we are called to live a life like Christ and for Christ. And although that is an impossible task, we thank you that um, we are able to um, be confident that you will change us and, and sanctify us and bring us to the day of Christ where we will be one day be perfected. But thank you that for now we are able to, to work at um, being imitating Jesus and that we have worthy examples around us to imitate and to copy as they do that. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that we would look to your son, Jesus. I pray that we would be people that grow in service to others, that don't look to our own interests, but look to the interests of others as more significant than ourselves. We ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen.